Wednesday, January 22nd here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola, and we are down to two teams in the NFL after Championship Sunday went about as expected. That means we have one game left with any fantasy worth, unless you're playing Pro Bowl DFS, Jared. I will not be playing Pro Bowl DFS. That is not my game either. We do plan to dig, however, into the XFL a bit around here over the next couple weeks. Uh, I'm going to be dipping into DFS for that, I believe. Yeah, you know, it's it's one more chance to play Christian Michael in fantasy football, so I'm, I'm in. And that's all we can ask for, I think. Today's show, though, is going to focus on Dynasty. If you head over to DraftSharks.com now, you will find not only updated Dynasty rankings by position, you'll also find 16 players to buy in your Dynasty League this offseason. Sometime over the next day and a half, I will post another article with 10 players to sell. We cultivated the options for those two articles by consensus, Jared, Kevin, and me. Today's show, though, Jared and I are going to get selfish. We're going to throw out some of our own personal favorites in the buy-sell categories. I have a couple players that the guys wouldn't let me include in the articles. Before we get to the players, Jared, though, I think it's worth pointing out that player valuations vary widely in Dynasty Leagues, even more so than in Redraft. Oh, yeah, and I think that's what makes Dynasty so fun. Um, You just have so many different philosophies i guess among you know owners in your league you have you know guys that are constantly in win now mode or guys who love their rookie picks you know, i i always like trying to you know i'll take notes even on guys in some of the leagues i've been in for a while you know like like this guy loves rookie picks so if i'm looking to, to trade some of my rookie picks i'm gonna you know offer to him because i think they'll give me the biggest bang for my buck so yeah i think it's important in dynasty to understand the owners in your league and sort of sort of what they value and that'll help you get maximum value in your trades. Yeah. And the big thing is if there's a player that you hope to get or a player that you want to move and you're not sure what to do because you don't know how other people are going to value them, go ahead and make an offer either way. The worst that happens is you get shot down and nothing happens. There's varying formats. There are varying opinions on how much player age matters and even individual players are going to be thought of quite differently. There's different roster construction, whether you're contending or rebuilding, you know, particular positions of need, positions of strength, what players you like personally. The fact that we're looking longer term here only increases the potential range of outcomes for all these guys. So, you know, there might be somebody that you don't think is going anywhere that somebody else is excited about and vice versa. And, you know, it it sounds kind of silly too, but I I think that you shouldn't um, avoid necessarily trying to, uh, play to team favoritism you know if you've got a Packers fan in your league maybe go after that a little bit for sure yeah and you know even even some of the names I think we'll talk about today these guys could be a buy for your team they could be a sell for my team just based on you know strengths and weaknesses on my roster where my team is you know whether I'm you know in win now mode whether I'm competing for in 2020 or if I'm more in rebuilding mode so even even you know specific players will vary as far as whether they're a buy or sell just based on a lot of those different factors. Exactly. And I mean, you know, we always want to come out better than the other side in a trade, but don't go into trades trying to fleece other owners because that's not going to end up working for you. And even if it does end up working once or twice, it's going to make other people uh, more apprehensive about trading with you. So we're looking to give value, get value, 
help build our own teams, but not necessarily take advantage of other people. With all that in mind, here are some of our favorite targets for the 2020 offseason. Jared, who is your first buy on the list? I'll kick us off with, I think, the the biggest name, at least, on my list here. Um, Odell Beckham is a buy for me this offseason, and I don't think he's going to come super cheap, but I think this is a guy who was probably untouchable for you know the first four or five seasons of his career. I think now, coming off a disappointing 2019, I think he's attainable in trades. This past year was a disappointment early for the Browns in general, especially the Browns passing game. That includes Odell Beckham, you know, career lows in catches, yards, and touchdowns per game. Ended up finishing wide receiver 25 in PPR points. Uh, I'm I'm almost mad at myself for being too high on OBJ, you know, last offseason heading into 2019, just because I, I do think in general, fading free agent wide receivers in their first year on a new team is the way to go. But I, I, you know, got kind of suckered into OBJ's talent and Baker Mayfield and all that. So I I think part of it was, again, you know, just playing with a new quarterback, playing in a new offense. Beckham also played the entire season with a sports hernia that he had surgery on recently here. So I think, you know, he he wasn't ever at 100% last season. If we just go back, though, and look at this guy's career in totality, I mean, you know, he was the 12th overall pick in his draft 2014. Um, 1300 yards 12 TDs as a rookie finished wide receiver seven that year he was wide receiver five in PPR points in year two wide receiver four in his third year in the league Um, the next two seasons he did miss some time with injury but he was wide receiver three and wide receiver nine in points per game so he's literally been a top 10 fantasy wide receiver in every season prior to this past year OBJ still ranks third all time in receiving yards per game, even, you know, with a disappointing 2019. So I, you know, I, I just still think this is an elite player. He just turned 27. So he's still, you know, right in the thick of his prime. I still believe in Baker Mayfield long-term. I think, you know, the coaching changes in Cleveland can only help. So I think Beckham is a strong bat, bounce back candidate in 2020. And obviously, you know, should still have four to five years of, of high end wide receiver one production. I think this guy is a sports hernia, but I, I agree with trying to buy him this offseason. I mean, a year ago, he, he was consensus top three among the dynasty wide receivers, and I'm sure plenty of people had him number one overall. We were all excited about the upgrade from Eli Manning to Baker Mayfield. I do still think that's an upgrade. I agree that heading into last season, we were kind of uh, ignoring the risk factors at play, you know, the free agent going to a new team and with a better second receiver than he'd ever played with, the still new quarterback who we were basing, you know, our excitement for off a small sample from the end of the the prior season. And of course, the, the complete change in coaching staff. So I'll certainly be a little bit more apprehensive for 2020 when I'm projecting the Browns. But overall, I agree that, that Odell Beckham is more likely to remain a, a wide receiver one in fantasy as long as he can keep from slapping cops in the tush. <laughs> right. And I think so some of that off-field stuff could only help you acquire him a bit cheaper than you might think this offseason. I'm going to go for not as big a name, but a guy who produced a lot better than OBJ in 2019. And it was Austin Eckler for the Chargers. And you might think that coming off a top five fantasy season, he's a sell, but he's not being valued like a guy who finished where he did. So the the first thing with Eckler is we already know he's a good player. He was the number two PPR back through the first four weeks of last season when Melvin Gordon was holding out behind only Christian McCaffrey. From week five on, though, with Melvin Gordon back in the lineup, Austin Eckler was still the fifth best PPR back in the league. 
He finished fourth for the season in total PPR points at the position. He finished seventh in non-PPR, so he was scoring everywhere. And it wasn't just fluky touchdowns. Pro Football Focus graded him fourth best among all running backs. He was tops at the position in receiving over the past three seasons. So the combined grade from 2017 through 2019, PFF grades him the best receiving back in the league over that span ahead of Christian McCaffrey. Eckler grades out a little bit more average as a running back, as a rusher, but we don't need more than that at the position. Average rushing and above average receiving and an elusive rating among running backs with 70 plus touches. The past three years, he ranked 10th, 8th, and 3rd, and that's a field of 68 to 75 running backs per year. So he was very good with the ball in his hands, whether he was running or or receiving. I think you go ahead and get Austin Eckler now while we don't know what the Chargers backfield is going to look like. Melvin Gordon is almost definitely gone in free agency. Eckler is a restricted free agent, so there's the chance that he goes, but I think it's much more likely that the Chargers keep him around. I think it's likely that he is the top touch guy in the backfield. I think worst case, we get Austin Eckler sharing again because they bring in another, you know, prominent guy for the backfield. But even in that case, we know that Austin Eckler has the ceiling in RB1 range and at least the ability to deliver us RB2 level production on a regular basis because of his receiving. Yeah, Eckler's awesome. I mean, I think all those numbers you mentioned, if you just watch him play, you know, I, I do think he's one of the best receiving backs in the game. The, the, the question is, you know, how willing the Chargers are to make him their lead back. They did, you know, over those first few games of this past season when Melvin Gordon was out. I, I do wonder how cheaply you can acquire Eckler because his owner, I'm sure, knows how good he is too. But again, you know, that, that's why we say it, it doesn't hurt to make offers. Yeah, you very well might ask somebody about it and they'll be like, no, I'm not trading Austin Eckler. The guy won me a championship last year. And, you know, that's fine if that happens. But it's tough to get a consensus. But from what we can tell, it looks like Austin Eckler is generally valued in like mid RB2 range. So I think he's worth a shot there. Yeah, and I think like you mentioned, mid RB2 range is almost his floor, you know, with with that receiving production. And if he does get a lead role, he's shown he can produce as an RB1. Mm -hmm. Who's your second guy? Um, I'll stick with running back here and go with Kareem Hunt. His January ADP in mock drafts over at Dynasty League Football is running back 24. We have him ranked running back 14 in our updated Dynasty ranking. So, you know, a big gap there. To me, Kareem Hunt just passed the eye test in his eight games this season. Um, He looked like the same guy we had seen the previous two years when he was a fantasy stud. Uh, Pro Football Focus agreed with that, too. Among 73 running backs with 40-plus carries last year, Hunt ranked third in elusive rating. He was also 11th in yards per route run and fifth in receiving grades among 32 running backs with 40-plus targets. So he was also really good in the passing game last year. That that shouldn't come as a surprise because, again, you know this guy was a stud in his first two seasons in the league. He led the NFL in rushing yards as a rookie, averaged 4.9 yards per carry. Um, he was fourth in PFS elusive rating that season. He was third in elusive rating in 2018, averaged 4.6 yards per carry that year. Hunt still just 24 years old. You know, fresh legs. He's a restricted free agent this offseason, so that'll be interesting to see you know, if the Browns elect to bring him back. That'd obviously be bad news in the short term because Nick Chubb is there. But I think, you know, worst case, Hunt will hit free agency in 2021. And there, there's certainly a chance he moves on and gets a lead role in 2020. 
Yeah, and as we saw in the second half of last season, he can produce. Obviously, if he's in the same backfield with Nick Chubb still, then the ceiling is going to be a lot lower than it would be somewhere else. But there's also handcuff upside in case Nick Chubb goes down. I mean, there's a chance that Kareem Hunt turns into a starter there. So I, I agree that right now would be the time to try to buy him before we see. Actually, though, even if you don't find the deal that you want, I think there could be a potentially even lower buy window if... Kareem Hunt does get a 2020 contract with Cleveland and then is stuck behind Nick Chubb. I, I think there will be some Kareem Hunt dynasty owners right now who are like, I'm going to wait and see what happens with him in free agency. They're going to be disappointed if he re-signs with Cleveland. Right. It's definitely a gamble if you sort of wait on making a move on Hunt. Because yeah, if he does re-sign with Cleveland, he, he's probably going to come cheaper in trades. If, if he, you know, if Hunt in March signs elsewhere and it looks like he's going to be the lead back I would think at that point he's, he's going to be really tough to acquire I would think for what it's worth that it would make sense for the Browns to tender him at a level that brings back a, a, a draft pick yeah. if another team signs him and then let him hit the market and see if they can get a draft pick as compensation for him yeah that's what I would expect to and we should of course mention that Hunt has you know, the, the off-field stuff, which I think will limit the number of teams that are interested in him. But again, the, the team that does sign him, whether it's this offseason or next offseason, is going to do so to make him the starter. Yeah, and he at least hasn't had issues since the one that got him booted from Kansas City. So, yep. you know, that, that will help his case for finding a spot. Yep. My next running back is Bryce Love, and it's not because I think that he's on the verge of a breakout. It's because... When I first think of buy options, I'm, I'm trying to think of guys that are going to be easier to buy. Obviously, ultimately, what we're looking for is upside. And I think that that's the combo that Bryce Love delivers here. I can't imagine that there are a lot of fan, dynasty owners out there clinging to Bryce Love, waiting for big things from a fourth round pick. I do think that with multiple buy opportunities among that 2019 rookie running back class where, you know, there were guys that had disappointing rookie seasons. I think among that group, Bryce Love beats a lot of the guys in his path to opportunity. I think at worst, assuming he's healthy, assuming he has a good off season, you know, he looks like he's back to full strength. I think at worst, he should be in line to be the new Chris Thompson in Washington. Chris Thompson is a free agent. I don't see any reason for the team to bring him back. So I think at worst, we're looking at Bryce Love as the new Chris Thompson next to Darius Geis in that backfield. You know, we'll see if the new coaching staff brings in any other big names. But the best case is it's Love and Geis together and Geis again, can't stay healthy, which he has not yeah. been able to do for the past three years, dating back to college. And Bryce Love emerges as the touch leader in that backfield in 2020. I don't think that he has feature back in him. He's only 200 pounds. He's a slight guy. He, he's not a power runner. But he had that 2,000-yard season as a junior at Stanford. He had 6.8 yards per carry career there. He had 7.8 yards per carry before a senior season that was limited by an ankle injury that he played through for a bunch of games. I think his college tape points to receiving upside beyond what Stanford allowed him to do on that front. He still caught 49 balls at 9.5 yards per catch, so it's not total projection on that front. We've seen the breakaway speed, and you know, again, the biggest selling point is that he's going to be cheap. Yeah, I think he's, he maybe got some Austin Eckler to him. Or, you know, he's never going to be a 260-carry guy, but if he can get the 200 carries and you know, catch 40, 50 balls, that, that's plenty. You know, I, I love Darius Geis. I actually considered making him a buy here, but th those knee injuries have gotten to be 
a major concern. So, you know, acquiring someone like Bryce Love, who really is just one injury away from a potential lead role, I think makes a lot of sense right now. And I think if you're a Geis owner, you know, and you don't want to give up on Geis, go ahead yeah. and insure him with Bryce Love. Yeah, definitely. Who's number three for you? Uh, Brandon Cooks for me. Um, g- kind of a similar argument to Odell Beckham. Just, you know, a guy who's a proven you know, fantasy asset who's just coming off a down season. And and honestly, I can't say at this point, and maybe I won't be able to at all this offseason, what happened with Brandon Cooks this past season, which is obviously a little scary. We know he, he did miss time with the two concussions, and he now is up to four total documented concussions in, in his career. So that, that's definitely a concern. So he's not a slam dunk by. There are some risks here, but his dynasty ADP is down to wide receiver 38. I think that that's super cheap for a guy with this resume. He's still just 26 years old. Cooks, like Odell Beckham, was a former first-round pick. He had four straight 1,000-yard seasons um, before this past year. That came with three different teams. Um, That includes a 1,200-yard, five-touchdown 2018 with the Rams. Cooks finished 13th among wide receivers in PPR points that year. That was his fourth straight top 15 finish. So again, like Beckham, this guy had been a fantasy stud for a while before this past season. Still in his prime at 26. Um, He signed with the Rams through 2023, which I think is good news. I mean, that's still a top end offense. You know, say what you will about Jared Goff, but I I sort of trust Sean McVay to keep that on track. Cooks is the sixth highest paid wide receiver in the NFL right now in terms of average annual salary. So the Rams did make a big investment in him. I expect McVay to sort of make it a point this offseason to to get Cooks going again. So I think I think now's a good time to buy low. Yeah, I mean I think what happened this past season was at least a bit of Sean McVay just kind of getting lost in his offense. I mean, they, they weren't didn't seem sure what to do at times. And later in the season they committed more to the run and were making lineup decisions trying to get more blocking in there. I I think we're going to see some things change for their game planning heading into 2020. And beyond that, Cooper Cup setting into a contract year. Robert Woods' contract runs through 2021. Brandon Cooks is signed beyond both of those guys and is still squarely in his prime right now. Even in the final season of his Rams contract, he's only going to be 29. So he's likely to outlast the other guys currently at the position with him um, with the Rams. So I, I, I agree. I think at worst, you're probably getting a wide receiver three going forward. And I, I think that there is certainly the possibility that by this time next year, he's sitting like 18th in most sets of dynasty rankings. Exactly. I mean, I think that's about where he was heading in in this past season. And again, there, there are risks. I think the concussions especially are scary, obviously, but you know, at, at wide receiver 38, I think you're truly buying low on cooks. Yeah. I got one of his teammates in the sell section, but we're going to stick with buys for now. And I want to mention Tyrell Williams, who I thought about including in the buy article. I didn't ultimately do it just because our ranking of of Tyrell doesn't differ that much from, you know, what we can deem as the general consensus. But I don't think that that necessarily has to dictate who we're buying in the offseason. I think even if you just go into 2020, you know, lukewarm on Tyrell Williams. I, I think you have to admit that there's upside versus where we all have him at this point. Entering last season, among the 68 wide receivers with 100 plus receptions over the previous three years, Tyrell Williams ranked sixth in that group in yards per catch. He ranked fifth in that group in yards per target. Then throw in 2019, he now is still averaging 16.1 yards per catch for his career. He averaged 15 and a half in his Raiders debut season. 
His touchdown rate is actually up slightly from 11% before last season to now 11.7% for his career. That is a high number for the position. He caught six touchdowns among his 42 receptions in 2019. He posted a career best catch rate this past season. He posted his second best yards per target number among his four starter level seasons in the NFL so far. So moving from the Chargers and Phillip Rivers to the Raiders and Derek Carr did not hurt his efficiency at all. Now, what might have hurt Tyrell Williams this year was the foot injury in week four. It likely got in the way to at least some degree. And what we did see was 6.0 targets per game for Williams before the injury, just 4.4 targets per game after the injury. We'll see how much of that was injury related. We'll see how much of that was game plan. But he turns 28 in February, so he's still in that prime time. He's got three years left on his Raiders contract, so he's not going anywhere from the plans there. They obviously liked him last offseason. No reason to believe that they don't like him at this point. And Antonio Brown's not around for this offseason. So Tyrell Williams is already in better shape than he was a year ago. His 2020 floor, I think, is the number three pass catcher for Oakland behind Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro in targets. He's more efficient in yardage and scoring than both of those players. And I think there's a decent chance, at least, that Tyrell Williams actually leads one or both of those guys in targets. We'll see what the Raiders add at the position, but... I think Tyrell Williams is in just as good a shape right now as he was a year ago. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that plantar fasciitis was a, a huge deal this past season. I mean, I, you remember how good he was the first month in the year before the injury. Then he came back, and he, he just never looked the same, never produced like he did early in the season. So I think that was his main issue. Another guy who, you know, free agent first year with the team last year, I think, I think there's reason to believe he'll be even better in 2020. So I think especially for – teams in win now mode you know teams competing for a title in 2020 I think Tyrell is a good guy to go out and get right now because I think you can get wide receiver three numbers out of him next season yeah I agree who's next for you on buys I got Johnu Smith as a buy Smith I think more than these other guys is more of a eye test thing for me than a numbers thing I mean there's no numbers to point to to say you know he he's this you know stud on the verge of a breakout he did set Career highs across the board this past season, his third NFL season, uh, 44 targets, 35 catches, 439 yards, three touchdowns. So not not huge numbers. He was better over the second half of the season with Delaney Walker out of the picture. John New Smith was actually tight on 12 in PPR points from week eight on. I just watch him play and I think there's a lot more there. And I think he's a guy who, you know, if the Titans kind of commit to next year and beyond could be, you know, a major fantasy asset. If you watch that playoff game against the Ravens, he made that sweet touchdown catch in the corner of the end zone. We saw Tennessee late in the year use Jonu Smith in their run game. I mean, he had that end around for a a 57 yard gain in week 15, you know, showing the athleticism that I think makes me so excited about him. Um, he was efficient this past season with the targets he did get. Um, he was eighth in yards per route run among 35 tight ends with 40 plus targets. He was 10th among those 35 tight ends in pro football focuses receiving grades. So again, I just think this is a guy who hasn't really popped yet. So I think he's going to be cheap enough to acquire, but I think if he gets the opportunity, he's a guy who could you know, be a top eight, top 10 tight end for the next few years. Yeah, and he's an explosive. He's tested as an explosive athlete yeah. at the combine, and he he's playing a position that's notorious for slow career starts. 
statistically. So it, it wouldn't be at all shocking to see you know him come on in his fourth year. He's still a young guy. It also should help his price that Tennessee is just kind of in flux on offense right now. Ryan Tannehill is going to hit free agency. Derrick Henry is headed for free agency. So we don't know at the moment what the Titans offense is going to look like. We know that Johnny Smith's going to be around. We don't know whether Delaney Walker is going to be around, especially if the Johnny Smith owner in your league has another solid tight end. It's not likely that there are many Johnny Smith owners out there that are like, this is one guy that you can't touch. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned the athleticism. He was an 87th percentile spark guy at the 2017 Combine. I think Delaney Walker is about done, so I'm not worried about him. I will mm-hmm. say Tennessee doesn't seem like the, the best spot to get you know fantasy production from a tight end. You know that that stuff can change, obviously though. And Johnu Smith will hit free agency in 2021. Yeah, and I mean, it's worth noting that his offensive coordinator is just heading into his second season as the coordinator, and I believe Arthur Smith was the tight ends coach before that, wasn't he? He was, yep. There we go. I got one more young tight end before we switch over to the sell side, and it's Jay Sternberger for the Packers. One major selling point with him is that he's not going to generate the excitement of some other young tight ends. He's just going to kind of float around there and not cost a whole lot, kind of in the vein of Bryce Love over at running back. Sternberger only had one productive season in college after transferring from Kansas to Texas A&M, but it was a really good year. 48 catches, 832 yards, 10 touchdowns, 17.3 yards per catch. He accounted for 25% of his team's receiving yards that season, 40% of Texas A&M's touchdowns. Then in pre-draft, he got Greg Cosell comparing him to Travis Kelsey. Now, I'm not going to say here's the next Travis Kelsey, but... Travis Kelsey was a third-round pick, just like Jay Sternberger. Travis Kelsey did lose his rookie year to injury, just like Jay Sternberger basically did. I know Sternberger returned about halfway through, but barely played after missing the first half of the season. With Travis Kelsey, it was a knee injury. Travis Kelsey in year two, 87 targets, 67 catches, 862 yards, five touchdowns. Again, I'm not saying get Jay Sternberger because he's the next Travis Kelsey. I'm saying that there is a template at least by which we can say this is something that's possible. And for Sternberger, more important than what Travis Kelsey did, here's the Packers team that he's coming to. The 2019 Packers had Devontae Adams leading the team in targets, even though he missed four games. He led the team by nearly 60 targets. He was at 127 for the year. Aaron Jones was next to 68. Jimmy Graham next after that at 60. And then Marquez Valdez-Scantling at 56, who basically fell off over the final third of the season. So this is a team in desperate need of receiving threats beyond Devontae Adams. And I think it's possible that Jay Sternberger emerges as soon as 2020 as one of the team's top three receivers. Yeah, definitely possible. You know, I... I love Greg Cosell. I try to listen to and read, you know, everything he puts out. And Cosell is not one for hyperbole. So when he compared Sternberger to Travis Kelsey, that that stuck with me. Like when I hear Sternberger's name now, that's the first thing I think of is the mm-hmm. Travis Kelsey comparison from Cosell. So he's definitely a guy I'm excited about in 2020. And like you said, I mean, Sternberger should cost basically nothing to acquire right now. Now, I want to start us off with the sell candidates because my first one comes from the same team, and it's the guy that I hope will be throwing a bunch of passes to Jay Sternberger in 2020. Aaron Rodgers, in the Dynasty League football consensus, the rankers that they have working for their site, Rodgers sits QB8, and none of them, none among the five that have rankings posted, rank him lower than 10th. 
The Fantasy Pros expert consensus that has eight sets of rankings in there as of this morning has Aaron Rodgers eighth among quarterbacks. We have him 17th. I had to argue him down that low, but uh, there wasn't a ton of resistance. Now, Aaron Rodgers finished last season 16th in fantasy points per game. He finished the year before 10th in fantasy points per game. PFF graded him ninth among quarterbacks in 2019, but he sank in the second half from week nine on. And I start from there because that's when Devontae Adams returned from his injury into the lineup. Aaron Rodgers graded out 16th among quarterbacks. He posted his two worst touchdown rates and QBRs in 12 years as a starter these past two seasons. He also posted two of his three worst completion rates in that range over the past two years. We have also seen five straight seasons now of down yards per attempt versus what Aaron Rodgers was producing previously. I'm not saying they've declined each season for five straight, but each of the past five seasons has been below and well below what Aaron Rodgers was doing earlier in his starting career. Now, some people might want to blame the surrounding talent. And sure, I think there's room for them to upgrade on that front. But I ask, which has the better chance of happening? The Packers upgrade their skill positions enough that they support a huge bounce back season from Aaron Rodgers and he goes back to being a top five fantasy quarterback or that Aaron Rodgers remains no better than a low end fantasy starter in his age 37 season. Right. I mean, I think, I think I'm higher than you are on Rodgers, but even I think at quarterback eight in dynasty, that, that doesn't make much sense. If I were to rank quarterbacks right now for 2020, I wouldn't have Rodgers in the top eight. And you know, we're talking about a 36 year old, right. With, with, I think, you know, n- not a ton of long-term value. So to have him at quarterback eight in dynasty just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I think he's a he's a perfect sell based really just on name value at this point. Right, and that's the thing. You can say if you're on Twitter, then when you say some guy is not as good as he used to be, what everybody hears is this guy's washed up. I'm not saying Aaron Rodgers is done being a productive fantasy quarterback or NFL quarterback or whatever. I'm saying that Aaron Rodgers is not what he used to be, and he still has the same first name. And that name still, you know, same last name too, but that name still adds value to him on the trade market. I think especially if you're playing in a super flex or a two QB league, you can move Aaron Rodgers in a package that brings back something like Sam Darnold and you get, you know, maybe Sam Darnold doesn't turn into anything special, but he also could be QB 18 perennially, at least over the next, you know, three to five seasons, you get a package that includes upgrades elsewhere, even trade for somebody like Ryan Tannehill, who's I think is probably going to resign with Tennessee or Gardner Minshew, who could be Jacksonville starter going forward with Jay Gruden as the OC. Like the, the point is not that Aaron Rodgers is about to fall off a cliff, but he's now not an elite quarterback at this fantasy position. That's basically the same from, you know, like QB nine down to QB 20. Right. I mean, Rodgers is a future hall of famer and we, we see those types of guys sometimes, you know, produce well into their late thirties. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he still has a couple decent seasons in him, but especially in this current quarterback landscape with guys like Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson. I think I, I throw Kyler Murray into that mix. I mean, even if Rodgers bounces back, like he's going to have trouble finishing any, season for the rest of his career higher than like quarterback five. All right. So hit us up with the next sell. Yeah, I'm selling Leonard Fournette this offseason. I just think it's a good time to cash in your Leonard Fournette chips. I think his dynasty value might be at its peak right now. He's a he's at running back eight in January ADP on DynastyLeagueFootball.com, just just you know for for a note. Fournette coming off his first real healthy season as a pro, he he did miss week 
17, but he was healthy for the first 15 games of the season. Let's remember, though, he did miss 11 games over his first two NFL seasons, had injury issues at LSU as well. So I think there is still durability risk here. Fournette also, from a fantasy production standpoint, really benefited from 100 targets this past season, easily a career high. He wasn't particularly efficient as a pass catcher, though. Um, Among 36 running backs with 40-plus targets last year, Fournette ranked 27th in yards per catch, 30th in yards per target, 25th in yards per outrun. So to me, that tells me he's not a lock for that continued massive passing game volume if he's not producing super efficiently in that area. So I think the targets could come down. Fournette wasn't really great on the ground either. He did average 4.3 yards per carry, but that, that was boosted by some long runs. He had runs of 66, 69, and 81 yards. And we can't take those away, but they're also less repeatable going forward. Fournette finished 41st in PFF's rushing grades among 45 running backs with 100 plus carries. So he didn't fare well there. Let's remember too, he averaged 3.9 and then 3.3 yards per carry in his first two NFL seasons. So, you know, just overall, I'm, I'm still not sure Leonard Fournette is a good running back. Like he, he's proven he can you know produce with volume, but a lot of guys can produce with volume. So uh, I'm not sure he, he's really bringing much to the table beyond that. Lots of moving parts here, too. You know, we have a new offense in Jacksonville. They just hired Jay Gruden as their offensive coordinator, so we'll see what that means for Fournette. And he's also going to hit free agency in 2021. So, you know, again, just just some more question marks. I just think, you know, Fournette, he'll be fine in 2020. He'll probably even sit inside our top 12 running backs. But um, just longer term, again, I just think his dynasty value is probably at its peak right now. So it's not a bad time to just see what you can get for him. Yeah, I, I'm sure that Leonard Fournette will come out top 12 among our running backs because he, he remains in a spot where he's going to get plenty of volume. And, and that's the thing. He hasn't been particularly efficient in any aspect. I think he'll be fine for 2020, but the durability thing just adds that one more question Well, where, like, you know, if I wait another year and then try to sell Leonard Fournette next offseason, it, it might be too late for me to make that move. So I agree. I don't think he's somebody that you have to get rid of for whatever you could get for him. Mm-hmm. But yeah. if you can get a good package for him this offseason, I agree with trying to move him. Yes. And I'd say Fournette is a guy that makes more sense to sell if you're more in rebuilding mode. Because again, I do think he, he's you know still likely going to help you in 2020, but he's a guy who I think longer term might lose value. Yes, I agree. I don't think he's likely to get a, a second big contract anywhere, really. Yeah. Dalvin Cook is mm. the is the running back on my list. And uh, let me start with the biggest reason to consider Dalvin Cook, I think, is that he will bring back a big haul this offseason. That's the only case in which I'm selling him. I'm definitely not just looking to unload Dalvin Cook on the team with the best offer. It's got to be a good trade for me. Now, here's why I would consider it. He is entering the final year of his contract. How are those big second running back contracts working out for other teams around the league. We look at the Rams where Todd Gurley is clearly in decline. We look at the Cardinals where David Johnson has imploded. We look at the Falcons where Devontae Freeman has clearly declined since getting his big money from them. Le'Veon Bell with the Jets, not very good in his first season. Other than Zeke Elliott, who we're assessing what his big contract will mean for him and the Cowboys, the next biggest running back contract is Saquon Barkley's rookie deal. So the environment is not supporting the idea of giving big money to a running back once he finishes his rookie deal. So I think all of that leaves a decent chance that the Vikings do not re-sign Dalvin Cook after 2020. And then what does his future look like? I have no idea, but there's at least some risk there. Even if his situation remains the same, his durability has stunk so far. 
Uh, Cook played 15 games over his first two seasons. And even this year in his breakthrough season, he had 20.3 carries per game over the first 10 games of the season. And then 11.8 carries over his final four appearances in the regular season. Missed the last two games. Of course, missing week 17 was probably at least in part because they'd already clinched. He didn't need to play. But there was the shoulder issue throughout that entire portion of the seasons. I think the Vikings would be wise to lighten his workload in 2020 if they do hope to preserve Cook, and they have the means to do so in Alexander Madison. And we already saw them you know, not overwork Dalvin Cook last season, 2018, when they had Latavius Murray around. So there's the potential that they're willing to just lower the workload for Dalvin Cook. There's also, I think, a chance that we just witnessed Cook's most efficient fantasy scoring season of his career. 13 rushing touchdowns, 9.8 yards per catch. There's a chance he doesn't match either of those numbers again, so it could be a high point. So I think all of that, I would consider moving him for a good package. Yeah, the durability thing is my biggest concern for Dalvin Cook, especially he's had just a a ton of shoulder issues dating back to um, his time at Florida State even. Even in the shorter term, too, I'm curious to see if Gary Kubiak sticks around in Minnesota, um, you know, they, they lost Kevin Stefanski, obviously to me, that looked like more of a Gary Kubiak offense this past year. I think he was sort of running the shots, but, but if he ends up leaving, I think that that could hurt in the short term. And even if you want to dispel the, the durability thing a little bit and say, yeah, we had the same questions about Fred Taylor and Frank Gore, and then they turned into regular fantasy producers. That's where I think the contract stuff comes in. Both of those guys came in at a point where the league was paying running backs and keeping them around. Now the league is not doing that. It it knows that running back careers are shorter, that running backs are more fungible than other positions. There is not nearly as it's not nearly as likely that NFL teams, whether it's the Vikings or another one, just stick with Dalvin Cook for a while and, you know, wait for him to become more durable. Yeah, I think just in general, you know, with the way the NFL is going right now, selling these running backs after, you know, two or three quality seasons in Dynasty is the way to go. My next sell here is a guy um, similar, Melvin Gordon. Going through the ADP stuff on DynastyLeagueFootball.com, there weren't many rankings I was surprised by, but seeing Melvin Gordon way up at running back 13 was surprising to me. You know, we have him ranked running back 20, even that, you know, might be a few spots too high. We'll, you know, we'll see what happens to Gordon in free agency. I agree with you. I don't think he's going to be back with the Chargers. And then just looking around the league, it's like, what what are the good landing spots for a running back at this point? I think Miami is probably the obvious one, at least as far as the ability to, to get the feature back workload. But, you know, that's obviously not a great offense right now. I think Tampa Bay might make some sense, depending on how they feel with Ronald Jones. But I, I just look around and there's not a ton of spots I could see Melvin Gordon landing where I'm going to be excited about him, where I'm going to want to you know, move him up the dynasty rankings. So and that's the first question mark with him. You know, he Gordon turns 27 in April. So you're not, not where we have to worry about a decline yet, but I also think, you know, he he's to the point where, you know, he, he's probably at least at his peak and, you know, in the next couple of years, we're going to have to start worrying about him wearing down. Um, and then sort of like Leonard Fournette, I mean, Gordon throughout his career has really just feasted on volume. He's only averaging 4.0 yards per carry for his career. He's actually finished below 4.0 yards per carry in four of his five NFL seasons. He did have the 5.1 yards per carry in 2018. But other than that, he's been a pretty inefficient runner. So I'm, you know, cur- again, I'm curious to see how the NFL values him in free agency. But I think selling him now uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, he does have multiple lower body injuries behind him. you got to think that that 
plays into the wear on him to some degree. And I agree that in general, trying to sell these running backs, even if it's a year early, as mm-hmm. opposed to waiting a year too late, is the way to start leaning in dynasty. And especially when we're looking at a 2020 class that has some good guys up top. I mean, you could find a package for Dalvin Cook or Melvin Gordon that maybe includes a top four pick in the upcoming rookie draft and replace them with a younger version. I think a a few other guys on the front who are heading into the final years of their contract, James Conner, Marlon Mack, Aaron Jones, didn't quite make my list here. And I'm not saying, you know, go sell hard, but also guys to maybe listen to offers on. Yeah, that's a good point you make about the rookie class. And we, you know, we did have, I think, some surprises as far as guys heading back to school. I know Travis Etienne and, and Chubba Hubbard are going mm-hmm. back to school. So the class doesn't look as strong as it did, you know, a month ago. But there are still, it seems like, you know, two to three running backs who have a chance to go in the first round. So you're going to, you're going to, I think, have some guys who right now we think are locked in as their team starters who are going to, are going to, you know, lose their starting jobs come April. My next sell is Cooper Cup, and I don't think that he's running toward a cliff. What I do think is that it's hard to see him sticking with the Rams when his contract runs out at the end of 2020. The Rams just gave huge money to Jared Goff, Aaron Donald, and Todd Gurley. They paid Brandon Cooks the big contract before the 2018 season that we already mentioned. Robert Woods is under contract through 2021 for pretty significant money. Tyler Higby just got a decent-sized extension in September. Dante Fowler and Corey Littleton are among free agents this offseason. So even if they want to keep Cooper Cup around, it's it, it might be a little difficult for them to actually make it happen financially. Late in 2019, Cooper Cup's playing time and targets fell. We mentioned the offense getting weird. Cooper Cup coming off the field in favor of blocking tight ends, for example, was one of the changes in that range. If they're willing to do that, if they think that makes their offense better, even if it was just during like a a six-game brain fart for Sean McVay, again, that doesn't point to a guy that they're about to pay $90 million in free agency. So I think that is the, the key issue for me. With Cooper Cup long term, he has also always been operating at an above average TD rate. Maybe that continues, especially if he does find a way to stick with the Rams. But it's always better to bet on abnormal things not remaining abnormal. And then the finally minor factor against Cup for a player heading into just his fourth season, he's a little bit on the old side, turns 27 in June. Again, I'm not selling Cooper Cup because he's about to turn 27, but it's at least not a mark in his favor versus other wide receivers heading into their fourth NFL campaign. Yeah, exactly. Just a bit older than you'd think for a guy who's been in the league for only three years now. I think Cooper Cup is a fine player. I don't think he's like a special talent. I do think that Sean McVay and the Rams have sort of maximized what he can be. So I agree with you that if he does move on from from LA that's more likely to be a a downgrade in situation than an upgrade who's your next sell I'm selling Julio Jones this offseason and this is sort of a guy like Delvin Cook where I'm not doing whatever I can to get rid of him but I I do I do just think you know put him on the trade block and see what kind of offers you get for him Julio was still PPR wide receiver three last year so he's still producing at an elite level I just think, you know, again, this could sort of be the peak of his dynasty value, value, or at least, you know, I think it might just head south from here. Julio turns 31 in a couple weeks, so, you know, he's getting up there in age. Not Again, I don't expect him to drop off a cliff anytime soon, but I think, you know, he might be past his peak here. Obviously, has the long injury history, you know, has the, the twice broken right foot. 
multiple hamstring injuries, multiple hip injuries, multiple ankle injuries. So you wonder if his body's going to break down sooner than, you know, most wide receivers. He also, you know, his efficiency was still awesome last year, but he, he set a career low in yards per target, um, a seven year low in yards per route run. Now, you know, he's still ranked fifth among wide receivers in yards per route run, but he had been number one in four straight seasons prior to that. So I, I just wonder if we're starting to see the decline in Julio Jones. Again, not expecting him to drop off a cliff this year, you know, this coming year, maybe in, maybe even the year beyond that. I still think he can give you wide receiver one production. But I, again, I think selling him now might be the peak of his dynasty value. And I think his value might just sort of decline from here. Yeah, and I, I think that's the thing with all these big names is it, I don't think either of us is saying if you still have Cooper Cup or Julio Jones on your roster in 2020, then you made a mistake because both of those guys are probably still going to help you in fantasy. What we're trying to do is maximize trade value here. And, it you know, it's OK to just hold on to a player until he's done. It's not going to kill you if you don't wind up selling a guy, you know, before he stops giving you value. But we're trying to maximize value if you are looking to make a move and, and upgrade either at that position or elsewhere. My final guy is one that I know Jerry doesn't like at all. (laughs) It is Dallas Goddard for the Eagles, a tight end, of course. And the biggest thing working against Dallas Goddard is that he has two more years on his Eagles contract. Zach Ertz is also signed through at least those two more years. He is cuttable, according to Spot Track, in 2021, but... That move would cost the Eagles about $8 million in dead cap space. I don't see that happening unless he just disappears as a player in 2020. And I don't see that happening because Zach Ertz is still a good player. He was still the dominant target leader for the Eagles this past season. Goddard, meanwhile, benefited from myriad injuries on the team, basically presenting him with his best case scenario for the season. We had Deshaun Jackson go down early. We had Alshon Jeffrey miss a large chunk of the season. We had Nelson Aguilar not only stink when he was on the field, but also miss lots of playing time. And then even the midseason injury to Jordan Howard helped swing the team from a balanced offense in terms of play calling to more passing volume late in the year. We had J.J. Ortega-Whiteside obviously not ready to actually be a factor in his rookie season. So through all of that, Dallas Goddard ranked second among Eagles in targets, was still 48 behind Zach Ertz in that category. He ranked ninth among all tight ends in the league in targets. I don't think that that was in his season opening range of outcomes unless he has all of those teammates get hurt. Now, looking ahead to 2020, we've got Deshaun Jackson still under contract, at least through the coming season, and perhaps 2021 as well. Alshon Jeffrey is signed through 2021 uh, with cap hits that look too big to cut. I think they will definitely address wide receiver this offseason, either in free agency or the draft, at least upgrade over Nelson Aguilar. And I think that Ortega Whiteside has to at least be better than he was in his rookie year. So I think all that put together... We're looking at a 2020 that's not going to find Dallas Goddard in the top 12 at the position. And I think you're going to have to wait a couple of years before you really get him as a quality fantasy starter. I'd say Goddard is a case where it just depends. It depends how the other owners in your league value him. In ADP, he's tight end 11. I would not be selling Goddard for a tight end 11 price. Now, if someone in your league views him as a top five dynasty tight end, which I do think it's possible because even you know this past offseason, we had a ton of people just super excited about Dallas Goddard. And I think for good reason, because I, you know, I, I think this guy is super talented. I do agree that Ertz is standing in the way in the short term, but long term, I think you know this guy has a chance to be a top five tight end for, for multiple years, even heading into 2020. So this past season, 
Goddard beat Zach Ertz in yards per target and PFF receiving grade. Ertz did edge Dallas Goddard in yards per route run. But, you know, even heading into 2020, I'm not totally convinced that that Ertz will outproduce Dallas Goddard. Oh, come on. Why is that crazy? Because Ertz beat him by 48 targets last year. I mean, it's volume over everything. Yeah, but what's to say Goddard can't change that volume equation? Going to pass him on the depth chart? I don't. I don't see that. Yeah, what you have? Goddard is a twenty-five-year-old who should be on the ascent. Ertz is what twenty-nine. A guy you know. He's pro- I'm not saying he's going to decline, but he's probably plateaued at this point. I don't think it's out of the, the range of outcomes that that Goddard beats Zach Ertz in targets and fantasy points. I think that opinion is exactly what makes Dallas Goddard a good sell this offseason. Because honestly, I think it's going to take. Zach Ertz getting hurt for that to be even possible. I don't think that that is in the range of possible outcomes at all. Do you think Zach Ertz is like a more talented pass catching tight end than Dallas Goddard? I don't know. I just don't think that that question matters. Honestly, I think Zach. I, think Ertz sh- I mean, I think it should matter. It should matter if the Eagles think Goddard's better, then they should be looking to get him more targets. When was the last time that we saw a team just like elevate a slightly younger player ahead of a still good starter? who's still in his prime just because he's might be a little bit better athlete. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't have any examples offhand. I, I got to think it, it's happened though. <laughs> but I mean, so I think that it's important to like draw a line between, you know, like this situation versus Jay Sternberger and Jimmy Graham. So we're talking about an over the hill, Jimmy Graham and a young guy who, who should pass him because he has more to offer. I mean, if Dallas Goddard's a little bit better than Zach Ertz, Okay, I mean Greg Ward finished the season playing much better right. than Nelson Aguilar did, and yet it took Nelson Aguilar getting hurt for Greg Ward to even get a chance. So I think that Zach Ertz would have to be very would have to be much worse in the coming season for Dallas Goddard to just pass him outright. It's more that I think Goddard's targets can and should rise, and I think that you know that Ertz is going to just disappear. We, we saw the Eagles use a bunch of two tight end sets, especially late in the season. And I know the wide receiver injuries had a lot to do with that. So we'll see what they add to the position this offseason. But I, I definitely think it's possible that Ertz, you know, maybe just takes a slight step back in volume, but Goddard takes a big leap forward. Uh, I, I don't think that the big leap forward is in the range of outcomes for Goddard. I do think a slight step back is, is possible for Ertz, but I think all of that is exactly why I would look <laughs> Goddard this offseason I think I the ideal scenario for selling Goddard is you also have another tight end who's you know at least solid you know somebody who's inside the top eight who you feel like you can rely on and you have Goddard and then you sell Goddard to somebody else in your league who doesn't have a good starting tight end right now who does believe like you that Dallas Goddard is (laughs) just a, a, a starting fantasy tight end going forward and could pass Zach Ertz yeah, I agree that if you're a team in win now mode, Goddard might make. You know, if you could get Hunter Henry straight up for Dallas Goddard, for example, I think they're similar long term, and Henry is the better immediate bet for production. So I think that that's a trade that could make sense. All right, I look forward to tracking this Dallas Goddard Zach Ertz battle throughout the off season. Anybody else on your sell list? No, that was it. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Fantasy Football Podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to read more buy and sell candidates for your Dynasty League this offseason. And check our updated Dynasty rankings to find out what we think of any other player you might want to pursue or dump in this offseason. We'll be back on here soon with some XFL Fantasy Breakdown and 
2020 best ball drafts have already gotten rolling on myffpc.com, so you can expect us to start addressing that soon. Until then, you can find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. That's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smol and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schauf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 